It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Happy Thursday, everybody. Last day without Tom, so everyone can breathe a sigh of relief. Today, we're going to be talking about emotional intelligence, fostering interpersonal skills in the digital era. And I'm going to go ahead and share, as we usually do, the references in the chat. And I think one of the most important things for our listeners and for everyone here today is really get a beat on what emotional intelligence is. Because we hear it, we assume, or I assume I know what it is, even after looking at things here and there. But in terms of a standard definition, in terms of a standard, this is what it entails. I think that's that type of clarity will be very helpful. So I wanted to start today with this particular article because it's chock full. Anyone have that coffee chock full of nuts? I used to always try to, I used always used to try to like it because I like the can. And every like now and then I'll buy it chock full of nuts, but it's just never good. I just never really enjoyed the coffee. So I finally got to the point where I'm not going to buy it anymore. So this uh, this uh, article here is is chock full of information in terms of just definitions for one. I even found it's interesting. I even found a study. It's called like doppelganger study where looking at your basically looking at a recorded thing of yourself and seeing how you interact with yourself to someone else can be very helpful, much more so than a computer simulated person talking back at you. So we have, there's be some pretty interesting things to discuss today. So one of the, one of the articles is this one's called fostering emotional intelligence and online higher education courses. So here we're talking about, yes, the digital era. If you're, you know, taking an online course, obviously in the digital era. And of course, we're talking about emotional intelligence. There's another article that we'll get into that gets into empathy, which is a big part of emotional intelligence. So in general, there's a quote here from this particular article. So we're looking at what is emotional intelligence? What is it anyway? Emotional intelligence enables individuals to effectively resolve differences at work, differences, sorry, and work together to navigate a myriad of challenges pertinent to the rapidly changing economic and societal landscape. All right. So that's a lot. In in a nutshell, we're looking at emotional self-control, conflict management, teamwork, cultural awareness, inspirational leadership, among other qualities. Of course, this is work cookie. We're looking at this, these applications in the workplace. We can also feel free to talk about these applications in, in social life and personal life because it does matter. And because usually when we start to practice things like emotional intelligence or being an effective communicator, those things will bleed into your work life as well as you start to model for yourself and model for others. So when you look at 
I'm going to read here. Leaders and managers must navigate a landscape of challenges which demand effective teamwork, fresh perspectives. I can't I can't emphasize that enough. One of the biggest things is perspective and empathic understanding of the others who they work with so that informed sound decision making can happen. This particular article that we're looking at is Mayor and Salovies. I'm really bad at names. As someone else will probably say it better, model of emotional intelligence. And basically this was, all right, how can instructional strategies be used to foster emotional intelligence and intelligence in adult learners based on an online learning environment? The other research I did, basically the same thing, but looking in the work environment, how can these certain instructional strategies be used to foster emotional intelligence? Uh, I had to say train on emotional intelligence, but train on emotional intelligence for leaders, managers, and workers at every level. The emotional intelligence, so it's broken down into four or five different areas. So I'm going to run through these. We'll start a little launch pad of ideas and critical thinking here, and then we'll get the discussion going. So I'm going to read one of the definitions of emotional intelligence that we can work with. Emotional intelligence is the ability to accurately perceive, understand, and express emotion the ability to use emotion to effectively think and reason and ability to regulate one's emotion. A lot of, so we have emotional intelligence and in there we have emotion, right? And then intelligence, which is thinking. I think a lot of times the emotional part takes over the, the, the emphasis on the emotional takes over. And in that, People think they're either they have it or they don't, and there's nothing that that can be done about it. But when we look at the research, we really look at start to look at this cognitive aspect of it and the ability, the the thinking and reasoning aspect of it. So there, here are these four, let's just say constructs, I guess, of emotional intelligence. One, emotional perception. Two, emotional understanding. Three, emotional facilitation and for emotional management. All right, so what does that mean? Emotional perception, and I'm, I'm reading verbatim here. Most of you can tell because when I read verbatim, it's really dry. Emotional perception is the ability to recognize one's own and other feelings. So to me, that says the ability to pause and think about what's going on and to consider that and to be not only introspective, but also uh, good at active listening and perceiving someone else. So an example of emotional perception here, attunement to someone else's feelings. Awesome. Emotional understanding is the ability to grasp why we feel the way we do. So getting upset or happy about something and understanding what's the root of that, what's happening here, rather than just saying, I'm having a feeling right now. That also helps, and again, why is emotional intelligence important? Because if you can grasp the way, why you feel the way you do, then you can start to look at it and say, I'm feeling this way based on what's actually happening. And maybe I'm over emotional in a good or a bad way. So I think that's important. An example of emotional understanding is appreciating the conditions under which one may experience emotions such as anger, frustration, and joy. So number three is emotional facilitation. This is the ability to use emotion 
to fulfill non-emotional goals by enhanced thinking. I like this one. Examples include the use of motivational strategies to stimulate learner interest in aging-related topics. And again, this is particular to the group that was used in this study. Uh, helping them to achieve learning objectives and designing course activities in a way that the learners can experience positive emotions and keep negative emotions to manageable levels. Great. Last one, emotional management, the ability to regulate emotions. An example is managing motivation and emotion in this study, particularly as it relates to learning. So we've got uh, the four parts of emotional intelligence per the study, perception, understanding, facilitation, which is my favorite, and management. So I see the hands popping up. So it's time for me to start being quiet. I think we're going to go with Dr. Martha because you have the biggest smile. So let's start with you. Thoughts, questions, comments for the group? Well, you know, one of the things that stood out to me as you were reading was the idea of labeling somebody as I think it was overly emotional or highly emotional. I think that was the the phrase. And that's very interesting to me. It is my experience that people can vary quite a bit between individuals, how emotional they may be labeled. And while there are such things as being overly emotional, I would hate to put a big restriction of what is allowed in terms of emotions because we are individuals and some people will feel stronger emotions or stronger stronger emotions on certain things. To me, it's about behavior that may be driven by these emotions. Everybody can feel an emotion, whatever that emotion is, it's what we do with it. So if you think about babies or toddlers, how did they react to, re- to emotions, their, their behaviors, they're very expressive, whether that's enjoyable or not. But as adults, we need to be able to have some kind of control of that. So while you can feel whatever you feel, and it should be be valid and not dismissed. It's what you do with it, especially in the workplace, right? Because we've probably all either heard of or witnessed someone who has emotional outbursts that are not appropriate for the environment that they're in. So I think that's an important part when discussing emotional intelligence. What is it that you do with what you're feeling? What are the behaviors that are maybe driven by your feelings? And do you have control of that? Do you understand what is appropriate for the situation and for the place? That's interesting because you mentioned the word behavior and nowhere in there was behavior. I'm going to do a little control F and search the article simply for the word of behavior, because then you have really those observable outcomes. So if you're using emotion to fulfill non-emotional goals by enhanced thinking or grasping why we feel the way we do, what are some of the outcomes of that and how can that help? And uh, I can't remember, heard this somewhere. I've, I've, I like it. I, li- I like what I'm going to say. That wasn't my original thought, which is emotions are never wrong in, in interactions. It's usually the way if, if I say something that upsets someone and I think they're taking it the wrong way and being emotional because they're taking it the wrong way, 
That's not the other person's problem. Their emotion is fitting their perception of what I said. My job as the person on the other end to clarify what I would say, if I did say something, you know, stupid, I should apologize, but there is a way to, to correct that perspective taking. I've given this example maybe a couple of years ago, and it's called a, uh, I always mess this part up, but it's called a response cycle. It's called a response cycle. And here's a good example of it in terms of the emotion part, but also looking at behavior and body language, which can be effective to go back. So let's say, for example, that uh, the example I usually use is you're, you overhear your wife talking on the phone uh, to her friends about how she wants to go to Nashville for a vacation. A couple of weeks later, surprise, I love you so much. We're going to go to Nashville. I booked the hotels and everything. And you get the old, uh, you know, look down, look away, look up and go, oh, that's nice. So that's showing an emotion. That's a behavior. And that's the response. So the way to work the, the cycle is to work at the response cycle is to work backward and say, hey, I noticed when I when you said that you looked down and, and to the left and you didn't seem too excited. What was the emotion behind that? Well, I felt kind of slighted. What was the thinking behind that? Well, I felt kind of slighted that you don't listen and pay attention to what I really want to do because and maybe your wife says, I want to go to a tropical place. I've always wanted to go to a tropical place with you. I don't want to go to Nashville with you. I want to go with, with my girlfriends to Nashville. That's where I don't want to go with you. I want to go with you to a tropical place. So now the perspective and what you are trying to attempt simply by calling out, hey, I noticed this behavior, this wasn't the intended reaction, and then calling out that emotion, which was not wrong based on their particular perception. And that's when you can say, all right, I'm a big dumb idiot. Uh, I wasn't paying attention enough. I thought I was paying attention. I'm sorry. My intent was to surprise you with something I thought you would like. And then basically all this gravy, you guys can go hold hands and uh, go get some dinner because problem solved simply by working that response cycle. And there's lots and lots of different business applications and things that can happen, but that's a, a way that people can be helpful. And that helps with what, with our topic here of emotional intelligence. On that note, oh boy, I need, and we need to make sure that we stick to the digital aspect of it. So we have our intro. So now I want to share, I'm going to share just a little bit and then we'll go to Linda Ann and then Aaron and then Nick, just to get back onto that digital aspect of it. There's a, another article called Social Media, Empathy and Interpersonal Skills, uh, Social Work Students' Reflections in the Digital Era. And this was a reflective journal exercise. And here are some of the journal excerpts that the students had some some you know some aha moments on here's an excerpt our in-class activities over the last two weeks have highlighted the great importance of tone body language and facial expressions in conveying meaning in conversation this aspect of communication is completely lost in the use of technology another one i'm becoming more aware of the importance of active listening our use of body language and the tone of our voice are tools that assist in the ability to engage another person positively. I like that, engage another person positively. Through these tools, we can appear interested, caring, and empath empathetic. These tools don't transfer to the online world. 
students seemed most concerned about the miscommunication overall that happens in the online environment. So that'll give us a little more to go off of with our topic today, emotional intelligence, fostering interpersonal skills in the digital era. Linda Ann, you are up. Well, that was quite the uh, introduction to the topic, Jeremy. Um, (laughs) A couple of points. One, I think it's important that we look at first the self-awareness of where we are in emotional intelligence. And part of that is, for example, sometimes when someone's in a situation where it triggers fear, they react in anger, right? And so you have to be sure that you're aware of what you're really feeling. Are you just angry or are you really fearful? And that self-awareness is important. In addition, you have to, when you see someone behaving in anger, you might want to try to figure out, is there a fear-based reason for, for that kind of reaction? So really understanding yourself and understanding how others react emotionally is, is key. I think also one of the keys in, in this particular topic is you need proficiency both in understanding emotional intelligence and the digital technology, right? For example, and this goes to the the comment that you just made a minute ago about some people being frustrated where they didn't feel that they were clearly understood, right? In say, maybe a text or whatever. This a while back, I I saw some data where there's a 95% chance that you will be misinterpreted in text communication, whether that's email or text, because there's no other context, right? It's just words on a page. And so understanding how to effectively use the digital technology to preempt that, for example, you might get a a difficult email and instead of going typing back, using a Loom video chat to respond to that so they get all that other context and you can easily communicate how you're feeling and what you're thinking about that can minimize some of that misinterpretation. So there's two levels of competency that we need. One is the emotional intelligence competency and the other is the digital technology competency. That So we've got these tools, texting. We, you know, people can do FaceTime, there's emojis, but we've got things like Loom. So now we're talking about the workplace environment. Are there a lot of people out there using Loom and these short video things, or even just, you know, like on my on my phone and probably everyone's phone now, you can just hit a little button and you can just talk what you're going to say, like a little walkie-talkie, and it sends. But the question is, do people do that? Do people use Loom videos? Are people relying on text and just taking the take it taking the hits and not really caring much about how how the communication is perceived because we have these tools it's tougher because it's it is one extra step except for hitting the hitting the button but then you have to listen to it and, and then the other person but they have to listen to it so then if they don't start to respond with the voice like the little voice recording then you're not going to keep doing it because obviously they don't like getting it so i'm just i'm curious like how do we is there a technology that's going to be adopted or are we going to see ourselves start to adopt these technologies more to help navigate how messages and emotions are being perceived? Or is it just people think things are okay and it's really not it really not enough. It's not bad enough yet in terms of communication. Aaron? 
You want to talk on that? Oh, boy. Well, first and foremost, I'd say, I mean, you get a voice note. And I mean, I get to play it at like three times speed. So, I mean, that's pretty efficient to me. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not a fan of getting those, but I'm a fan of giving them. It's it's difficult because I can be very worthy, as you all have seen. Speaking of, oh, man, there's a lot to speak to. So first, I want to speak a little bit to the EQ side. Uh, I wanted to call attention to, while we're looking at that article, it seems very similar to, um, as a coach, I focus on emotional intelligence with my clients. That's my bread and butter. And so we have a whole bunch of tools, but the most accessible for emotional intelligence, I think, you can see in any bookstore or you know, in general, um, libraries, things like that, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by Travis Bradbury. Um, I think many people are aware of that. And it follows a similar concept. Again, I'd like to stress the fact that it's accessible, which means it's a 20 question like self-assessment. It gives about 13 suggestions for each of the four cores, which are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. And again, we're talking about an article, but this book was from 2009. But if you're interested in working on yourself with emotional intelligence, that's definitely something to look at. So we talk a little bit about the disconnection with digital age. And I want to get to that in a moment, but I want to first talk about disconnection to the self in the sense of self-awareness. So self-awareness is definitely like the first step in emotional intelligence. You generally, right? And I say generally, can't identify another person's emotions until you can identify yours. Like you need to be able to name it. But there are situations, uh, irregular or regular, like people-pleasing, where, hey, I know what your needs are, but I don't know what mine are. And I think we need to be aware of things like that, that disconnection in the self-awareness side, even aside from digital age, can happen individually. And so when it comes to communicating emotionally from an emotional intelligence standpoint, not only having that courage to call out, if you remember a while back when I first jumped on this uh, Work Cookie podcast, hey, you got to call it out if somebody has bad breath, right? Well, if I can't smell, it doesn't matter. I can't say, hey, now I got to call you out on this. It's not, hey, it it seems like you're feeling this emotion. Well, if I don't have the tools to name it, I can never name it. And so practicing it with yourself is definitely that first step. To that end, I do also want to state one thing as far as what uh, Dr. Martha had said of like, everybody feels feelings, like it's how you behave. I want to call attention to one thing. Um, I'm diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and I'm not, that's just a piece of my personality, but individuals with like ASD or ADHD or some type of neurodivergence, there is a concept called alexithymia, which is the impairment of identifying emotions. You still feel them, but the ability to name them is incredibly difficult. So I actually use like a feeling wheel. And I use something called Grok cards, $40 on Amazon. And it's incredible. It's uh, G-R-O-K, Grok cards. And they have, it's two stacks of cards that are 70 feeling cards and 70 needs cards. I use these all the time for myself and for clients. So when it comes to that self-awareness piece, identifying those feelings, sometimes you just need to lay as many feelings in front of you as possible and say, yeah, that kind of resonates. But it's that sitting down and noticing aspect. To that end, I also want to talk about to what you had said earlier of training emotional intelligence. And I know you said like, I don't really want to use that phrase, uh, Dr. Jeremy, but it's the sense of, okay, training people in emotional intelligence. I think it actually comes from modeling it, not training, but modeling. You have to be, it's bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. You have to show them that the water's okay. It's not 
dirty. It's not poisoned. You know, it tastes really good. It's, you know, you got to show them the worth of that EQ. And so I don't think you can say, hey, you need to boost your emotional intelligence. Because if I go to somebody that's, you know, controlling and micromanaging and say, hey, you got you to gotta be a little softer. No, this is the way I live. This is just who I am. Right. How many times have we heard that? Oh, this is just the way I am. I'm just, I tell it like it is. Oh man, you're an a-hole. Sorry. You're right. And so we need to really focus on that self-awareness. So really being able to call it out and then being able to model it of, hey, I know this, that this is what's going on. And it starts with that self-awareness. Lastly, I'll talk to the digital aspect, which is that disconnection that Linda Ann had mentioned. Disconnection happens, like I said, in any situation. It can happen from that lack of body language. It can happen from neurodivergence, misunderstanding cues. It could happen from different types of personalities. And so when it comes to like situations like Zoom or text, you know, even by phone, if it's all voice notes or just a phone call, 70% of our language is body language. And so I think it all comes back to that self-awareness and that practice. Because if you are able to communicate, hey, by the way, when I uh, fist bump you, it's not less of a kind gesture than a high five. Like if I ask you which is friendly or a high five or a fist bump, some of you will be like, well, it's the same thing, right? Maybe not. You know, cultural differences, things like that, those are always going to be in the way. And so when it comes to digital, I think having the willingness to state your needs and your uh, experience through text explicitly, which as I mentioned, as somebody on the spectrum, I really like direct communication, like, hi, I would like you to do this, right? But it's hard for us because we have underlying expectations. So I think it all comes back to that self-awareness. How do I communicate what I need in this interaction? That's my thought. That's a good thought. Those are lots of good, much better than the coffee. That was chock full of super good insight for reflective purposes for us too. Thank you, Aaron. All right, we'll go to Brendan. So something I want to touch on that Aaron already started on was definitely cultural differences, because I could definitely see that being a major impact, especially in the digital world. And um, I forgot, I think it was Linda Ann said it, like using the appropriate medium is very important because I see a lot of managers now, especially with the use of Microsoft Teams and, and Slack chats and things like that, that when when an employee brings something to their attention, they're just giving them a thumbs up and it's like, that's great that there's no actual feedback from a thumbs up that employee just basically you're just acknowledging that you saw what they said, but they're still like, okay, great. Now what? So that's something that I'm seeing, but definitely like the cross cultural impact is very important because I go back to, I think I've brought this up a couple of years ago and I tried to research through my emails to find it. But I remember like one of the first psyops I went to back in 2015 or 2016, Somebody had, I think it was a Japanese concept on emotional intelligence about almost like having this familiarity with people. So like you could almost within your life experience, you can kind of know what to expect from certain people. And I experienced this in one of my, in my earlier career with this, um, this one guy who was working part-time at this job that I was at. And, um, he would just point at people and he's like, that guy over there, he get, he's like this, this, and this. And I was like, yeah, how did you know that? And then he'd point to somebody else and he's like, that guy used to be a cop. I was like, okay, are you playing a joke on me? Like, how do you know all these things? And he, it, it's, I, I can't, I wish I could remember the Japanese word for this, but it's this concept of just knowing tendencies within people and just from observing, uh, observing their behaviors, which kind of makes that kind of difficult when you think about that concept in the, um, 
digital world because you're not able to observe those behaviors like you would, like he was able to do just by looking at mannerisms and, and, and things of that nature. So I think that's kind of an important piece when we're talking about the digital world is I'm not doing it right now because my internet's not very good uh, today, but everyone should for the most part be on camera when they are conversing in a video call so that they're able to learn these types of things about people and, and, and work on this concept of, you know, identifying those things and, and even like the looks on certain people's faces and, and seeing, you know, it's a good tool for a manager to have say, you know, that person doesn't look right. And, and like one of my telltale signs, is I talk a lot. So if I'm not talking that much, there should be a sign that there might be something wrong with me that day. So just some thoughts on that. Those are really good thoughts. Makes me think of even with, so there's sometimes I'll be in a Zoom in a meeting with someone else. And it's, so I have these, I have these dual screens and I have to constantly remind myself because sometimes I'll put the Zoom off to this side because I'm looking at documents and I'm talking about documents or I'm doing a screen share. And it's like, I, I catch myself thinking, I don't know what this person, what their facial reactions are like. So I have to make a, a, a conscious effort to either make sure I look over or pull pop that screen and snap it over at least periodically so I can get an idea because that, that happens a lot, you know, when, when we're working in, in those realms. And sometimes if you have, even if you have it on the, if you're doing a screen share, it's like a little too small to, to really notice someone's uh, reactions. Because when you think about it, and we've talked about this before, you're even sometimes like pu pupils will, if you're talking face-to-face -face with someone, your pupils will dilate in sync with the other person's because it's just natural the way our, our bodies respond. You can't, you definitely can't see that. Uh, on Zoom. So you do lose part of that. And it makes me think of what underlying things are we missing that we don't even know, those things that we can't even tell, the things that we're not consciously thinking about. Oh, this person is bored. This person's upset. What are those things, that feedback loop that's happening with those micro body movements, just of, you know, whatever, eyelids, who knows what it is, little eyebrow twitches that you can't see? What are we missing that we don't even know we're missing? So thanks. That got me thinking, Brendan. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. And if you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work, as an IO psych practitioner, check out Seabock's IO Career Pathfinder membership at seabock.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to seabock.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences and businesses. Get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Let's go to Nick. There's there's so much to, to kind of that keeps coming back in some of the themes. You know, we talk about is digital better or worse than face-to-face? -face? And ultimately, it's it's just different. You know, I know there's training literature 
where a bad curriculum is a bad curriculum, whether it's in the classroom or online. And so I think that kind of comes to this EQ front as well. Like if you're, if you're bad at it in person, you're probably going to be amplified at being bad at it. You know, when you're, you're stripped down of some of the tools and things like that, that you have with somebody in the room. I know that if you're talking about an educational setting, my experience for grad school was completely online and I have zero real connections from that program. You know, people would jump on for a project and they wouldn't turn their cameras on or it was very businesslike and very to the side, but everything else was just discussion boards and everybody was there to do the same thing, but there wasn't a lot of the the small talk, the social engagement, the things that you get waiting for the lecture to start. So that aspect is missing. Um, and for those programs, I would say, build that in, you know, do a, a Zoom call that, that doesn't require, you know, this, that, or the other. Yes, people are going to be busy. They're not going to participate. You know, there's all those, those traps, but offering that or designing places to instill some of that connection that you don't get face-to-face. It's not that it can't happen online. It just takes longer. You know, my involvement with CBOC is, is something that speaks very much to that. You know, I see the same faces on the screen over and over. I know some mannerisms. I know when, you know, Aaron's got something that hit him right between the eyes and he wants to say something, you know, or when I'm rambling and people start giggling in the background. Uh, but that is that, that sense of community that, that comes from repetition. And so I think that that is something that can be done. But, you know, if you have to be intentional about emotional intelligence in the room, you have to triple 10 times the effort virtually because you are missing so many signals and you're going to have to keep trying different routes and, and different things. And it's going to be clumsy because at the end of the day, it's a human relationship and we're funny creatures that don't always get along in the way that we should. I love, I love what you said. It makes me think one thing that I don't think it can ever be replicated. I mean, unless even, even if we had holograms, and we're having in-person stand-up meeting with everyone's holograms, which will probably happen within a month or two, I'm sure. But it, it just makes me think, because so many of you here, I, I saw it in, in Boston at the PSYOP conference, and it's totally different because at the PSYOP conference, it's almost like, you know, you ever gone to a party and you see someone that you haven't seen in a while, you didn't expect them to be there. It's just like, hey, and, and there's just that, it, it's, it feels different. So that's how it was seeing everyone at PSYOP, but then we're on camera here and it's just like, oh, everyone's, it, it, it's not the same. It's like, oh, it's good to see some new, some same faces, but it's just not the same as seeing someone in person. It doesn't hit you the same way. And I don't, I don't think that can ever change, but like you're saying, Nick, you've got to do, you've got to do 10 times more work per se in the digital environment to start to even get close to the, uh, to the other thing. So, man, you guys are uh, getting me thinking here. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Going back to what Linda Ann brought up earlier about the importance of selecting the right medium of communication, if you will. Some things are written down or conveyed via email or text for a reason because you want it written down. You want it on paper. You want it as clear, as black and white as possible. But there's a lot that is missing when it comes to this form of communicating the emotional part. Oftentimes, the person reading the email or the message is left to interpret what the emotions or the intentions or the tone is. And when we communicate in person, where we're looking at one another, 
like you had brought up, Dr. Jeremy, there are so many cues. Some of them are so subtle. We never even think about them, but it all conveys information to us. So whether you're a speaker and now you're getting feedback from the audience, whether they're connected with you, or if you're losing your audience, or whether you're in a one-on-one conversation and you're picking up on all that information without even realizing it. And when we were all wearing masks during the pandemic, that's when everybody realized how much we rely on facial cues to communicate with one another. It was like you were staring at a blank. Nobody knew what was going on behind those masks. It was not only creepy, but we all felt so much more lost in our communications and our conversations with one another. So when we talk about emotional intelligence and when we talk about the digital age, there are so many variables that come into play here that sometimes it can be easy to get lost in all of that. The other thing that Aaron brought up, the idea of modeling uh, emotional intelligence, that was really important, I thought, because anybody can tell their employees, you need to take this course, you need to go to this training, you need, you need, you need. But if they're out of control, and if they have no emotional intelligence, what what's the end result going to be? right? You have to be able to model what it is you want from your people if you're going to be successful in any kind of training endeavor. That's so interesting. And especially about the mask with the facial expressions. I know a former FBI guy, and of course they know all about body language and whatnot, but what he would do whenever he had to go on the subway, he didn't want to chat with, he was like an introverted guy. So he didn't want to chat with people on a So he always wore a mask, like a, a, a medical mask, like a face mask, like a COVID mask. And no one ever talked to him because of no, you know, you don't, it's just, it's so off-putting. You can't get a beat on what kind of day they're having, what mood they're in, what they're doing, anything like that. You have no, you've got nothing except for their eyes. And so that that's what he would do so that nobody would talk to him or approach him on the subway. So that's like, it's interesting to see how that was used purposefully to convey something that's, we see that has been harmful with regular communication. Excellent. Deborah, let's go to you. Hi. Um, I just wanted to really touch on some of the points done earlier, especially Brendan's point about, you know, having that video on in meetings or just increasing those touch points with everybody that you're working with, or even if you're studying with someone, because Nick's example about um, him feeling a bit disconnected when he was in grad school is a great example. I do think that when we're talking about anything digitally, like team working remotely, um, there are a lot of companies that just simply said we're never going back, right? And they they don't have offices anymore. They don't have a place for their people to meet. And everybody can be wherever they want in the world and just work for this company. And that can also happen with educational programs. And I think that brings a lot of flexibility. So that's, you know, that's a win for that. But as we've discussed, it, it, it creates this issue where we're not feeling connected. And I do think that programs and just work environments in general, if they're going to be remote or they're going to have a remote aspect, need to consider the fact that you have to be intentional. And so this is where I wanted to touch on uh, leadership and emotional intelligence and how the two need to be really just one and the same, because if leaders don't have that self-awareness and that self-management part, they're not going to be great at managing their teams. It doesn't matter if it's in person or remotely, just as 
um, Dr. Martha just said, but also that social awareness that we need in order to put things into context is going to be really hard when we're being like just communicated digitally. And so for that, I just wanted to recommend that as much as we can being intentional with touch points, even if it's just let's do 30 minutes for coffee, like at 930, just for everybody to talk and to, for everybody to be in one you know, space. It's not that we can be in one space physically, but we can create those spaces for just informal communication to start because in the chat, people are talking about like that spontaneity about going into somebody's desk and asking them a question or just really relating to each other in a more informal way. And it's just really hard to do that when you have to invite somebody via Zoom. But if we're intentional about creating some spaces within the week, within the month, be it in a program or uh, in a remote work environment, I think that it could really help that process of really making sure people feel connected and socially aware with, with people that they're working on, you know, on things all the time. So I think just that intentionality comes from leadership and can only come from leadership if they're also self-aware and working on their self-management. Deborah, thank you. I'm going to walk your talk. So you mentioned being intentional and you mentioned the different environments or venues in, in creating those. So I'm going to use this environment and venue. Lindsay is in the uh, in our in our room today. She's on our Zoom today. So thank you, Lindsay. Lindsay is one of our uh, uh, awesome marketing interns, and she's doing a fantastic job. So I'm going to use this time to give her kudos in an intentional way in a different environment than we're used to seeing each other. So thank you so much, Lindsay. And with that said, let's go to Maria. Hello, everyone. I'm sorry I'm not on camera today. I'm not able to turn it on. Jeremy, Dr. Jeremy knows how much I love this topic. And, you know, kudos to him for, for making this an opportunity for us to talk about this because it is an important area. And, um, you know, to Linda Ann's and others' points about digital age, one of the things that I've begun doing is not assuming that all of my colleagues, while we're in the same institution, and we have, for the most part, used one type of communication tool, because I do work remotely 100%, assuming that they're comfortable with that particular mode. For example, Teams. Most of the time, if we're going to have a meeting, we'll just hop on Teams or we'll schedule a quick Teams meeting. But I no longer assume that everybody uses Teams just because it's what we do here in my department. Um, and I found that offering a few options to them to give them the opportunity to communicate with me in a way that's more comfortable has actually proven to be more productive in the work that we have to do. Because these are the people that I don't interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, but for all practical purposes, they're my customer and they're seeking something from me. So I want to be able to deliver that in a way that they can easily access whatever they need. And, and I find that they're so grateful that I'm able, whether it's, you know, would you prefer a phone call or a Teams? If you don't know how to use Teams, do you know how to use Zoom? And, um, and it's always a varying answer. And at the end of the day, I feel better because I know the anxieties that I have felt when I have used something new and nobody guided me. So I try, I'm trying now to just turn that around and say, okay, I've never communicated with this person this way. Let me find out what they're most comfortable 
way of communicating is. And I, and I find it to be helpful. I like that. It makes me think what Linda Ann was saying earlier about taking the fear and hesitation out of, or understanding there, that there may be emotions involved due to f- certain fears and hesitations. And you're calling it, Maria, that's calling it right out and saying, hey, here are a couple options because you were able to experience that yourself. And that's a big part of it. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the other thing is I do a lot of technical um, hosting and I know what I feel like if something goes awry. So we can also offer up to the people that we're working with. Would it help if I did this in the background, just in case this doesn't go well, because sometimes, you know, internets fail and we're given a presentation and somebody's slides may stop running. Being able to know what crises might come up is also a great way to support the people that we work with or that we're working you know, for in that particular moment. Love it. Thank you, Maria. Kara Lee. Hey, uh, I love this topic as well. And as we've been talking and conversing, I um, thought of this kind of mindset. So we've been talking a lot about tools, practical tools that we can do to exhibit emotional intelligence. Um, but I think going in, like each individual going in and encouraging individuals to have the mindset of having an unoffendable, an unoffendable heart is something that can build resilience in, in receiving um, or in being in, in situations where emotional intelligence might be lacking from leadership or from coworkers is, I mean, because it's so easy, right? It's so easy to be offended or, you know, you get that like twinge. Someone says something, even in person, <laughs> someone says something to you and it kind of stings a little bit, but you go, okay, I don't like, let me take some time. Like, let me think about this. Maybe I really don't need to react, you know, just taking that time. Like one of the constructs of emotional intelligence to reflect before reacting. And so uh, giving the benefit of the doubt, I think goes hand in hand with having an unoffendable heart and being able to say, well, maybe that, maybe that person didn't mean it like that. Let me, you know, clarify. And then having the courage, like Linda Ann was talking about with fear, um, having the, the courage to manage your expectations, like Aaron was talking about and saying, hi, just wanted to clarify, you know, X, Y, Z, I heard it, or I received it like this. Did you mean it like that? Or, you know, any other way that you want to word that, but I've been practicing just in my personal life outside of work saying, I heard you say this, I received it like this. Did you mean that (laughs) nine times out of 10? They're like, Oh my word. No, I did not like amazing. It must've been the you know, Taco Bell I ate or something that <laughs> made me receive that like that. But um, yeah, so th- those are just some paradigms, some mindsets that I was thinking about as we were, as we were talking. And with that also goes like being okay with being uncomfortable. So, and, and, you know, being able to work out what you feel and maybe using an Aaron, I don't I can't remember, rock cards or like an emotional chart, you know, maybe sitting down and looking through all the possible emotions that you could be feeling uh, would be helpful. And because, I mean, we hate being uncomfortable. We hate being like, oh, I feel weird. You know, why do I feel like this? I shouldn't be having this reaction and triggered to something that my boss said that my coworker said. And so, you know, just talking yourself through and encouraging other people's to talk through, it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to take a moment to sit with your feelings it's okay, you know, I encourage you to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. Just some like, I don't know, basic, like taking it back to the basics. Those are just some things and tools that I've been thinking about as we've been discussing today. 
I love it. Real world example. I was talking the other week with a friend who was having difficulty with uh, two with their two sons. One one was older, one was younger, and they they pulled the other the oldest son aside and said, "Look, we're you two have been fighting X Y Z yada yada yada, and we're unsure of how to navigate this ourselves because they're thinking forward. Like, look, we don't really understand how to navigate it. We can't expect you to understand how to navigate it if we don't." And it was that forethought. And they they said something to the effect of, look, we might be a little hard on you for a little bit, or it's going to appear that way. Please don't take it to heart. It's really us struggling ourselves with how to manage the situation. And in that, we might not know how to respond to you in some situations. So keep that in mind. But that right there, it's that is effective conversation, noticing one's own weakness, noticing how someone else might feel and kind of giving that heads up so that they can get into that regulation of their own and also start to build up some resilience and think about, okay, well, this might happen. That way it's not so unexpected. And it's just a very effective way. So Carolee, spot on. Thank you. Uh, Nick. Yeah, there's there's kind of two branches that seem to be coming out of the conversation. One is emotional intelligence surrounding the migration to the digital platform. Uh, Maria touched really, really well on that. You know, how does it, how does it make you feel? Do you want a phone call? Do you, do you want to be able to turn your phone call or your video off because this is the eighth zoom meeting you've had in a day and you're just burned out and tired or the kids keep walking in and you don't want to create a distraction for somebody else. You know, there's, there's context and reasons for some of the choices that people make on the digital, you know, in the digital spaces, and so just being aware of that and what needs are through those modes of communication uh, so that communication can actually happen. I think the unfortunate part of you know, my grad school experience is you don't get many chances to, to try again in the digital you know, platform. If, if, you make, if you drop the ball, okay, the next meeting, employee X is going to turn off their camera and they may never turn it back on again. Whereas if you're in the room, you get those other signals, you can adjust, and you just naturally, through presence, get to get to try again, get get the mulligan, as it were. But digitally, there's there's a lot, there's a lot of convenience, and that works both ways, as you know, it's convenient to just jump on a Zoom call, but I can also kind of go, Yeah, eh, I you know, I hear you, but I'm gonna be, you know, playing Tetris on the side and you can't see it because I'm trying to turn the camera off. So that that disconnection can happen that much faster in our hyper-connected society. Thanks, Nick. Love it. Linda Ann. So I want to give kudos to Maria for bringing up her sensitivity to all the people that she works with. And that's that's impressive. Let's just say that. I want to talk a little bit about the communication aspect. And that is, you know, communication is really the complete 100% on both sides of or all parties. Uh, clear communication is, is responsible for everyone, not just the person speaking. And, and so it's important to make sure that you use your courage or your abilities to say, I'm not clear on what you're saying and don't leave the conversation until you are. And to really be sure, you know, it's so easy to just shake your head and go, yeah, okay. But you, especially in the digital environment where you are looking at people's headshots which makes me in, in situations where I'm leading a meeting, for me, that's like trying to lead a meeting blind. I can't get anything, right? And even though I hear people speak, because I, and I think the more empathic you are, 
the more limiting it is for you. Because for me, I can't feel people's energy the way that I feel them in in person, as you were saying, you know, the difference in being at PSYOP and so forth. And for me, that's a big way of communicating. So I think that companies considering policies where you are expected to show up in person, even though you're in in digital form, um, can be important because otherwise you're you're just further limiting the the ability to communicate. And then to just pick on the word fostering in the title of today's meeting and thinking about who's responsible for fostering this process and really making it effective and how much of it falls on the corporation, you know, the in the training part, and how much is it personal responsibility to be a good professional and understanding that if you're in the leadership role to to Deborah's point is it's another responsibility that you have to be willing to take on as a person in a leadership role to make sure that you are proficient in emotional intelligence, in the um, digital technologies, and making sure that that is imparted. So there's this huge additional responsibility that we have as organizations to make this work. Very good thoughts. Responsibility. Whose responsibility is it? I like it. Lee, up to you. All right. I know we're about out of time, so I'll try to make this quick. You know, to Linda Ann's point about the uh, the communication and the responsibility for that, it's funny how that works. You know, real world example, as Jeremy said, you know, early on in my marriage, my wife would get upset about something. And I would say, you know, and I, I can remember in frustration saying, if there's two ways you can take something I said, I meant the one that doesn't upset you. So often that's how our interactions go. And I think there's an irony in that right when emotional intelligence became like this big thing, like everybody's aware of it, we're talking about it and everything else. And then COVID hit and we all went out. We all went virtual. We all went and we kind of set it back. We 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 really messed up a lot of the, the progress we were making because the world paused and we all had to get used to this new medium and this new thing. And in the digital world, I mean, as has been said, it's so hard to get that feeling because you don't get that. I mean, you know, where I work, we're on government computers that don't have working webcams. So I don't see anyone. I see a name, maybe a picture, depending on if they've updated that. But that's it. That's all we got. And because we are virtual, and so we're not stepping away from the workplace into a meeting, we're all still in the place where we work while we're in a meeting. And so the tendency is to try to multitask. And and no matter what people say, nobody really multitasks well. There's no video. They can't see what you're doing. You're doing something else. And all of a sudden you hear your name and you're like, oh, crap, what what was just said? And then you play it off like, oh, sorry, you cut out there. Could you repeat that? You know, and, and we're playing this game with this. and. Uh, you know, it, it's just it's crazy. And you can't do those flybys, right? You can't go by somebody's desk and have that thing. So everything is in chat or email or whatever. And it is a for one thing, you can kind of keep the constant communication. I mean, my my guys, they, they've got a team chat and it's going all day long. And a lot of it is, you know, most of it is work related, you know, but, you know, most of these guys, I've never talked to one on one. I just haven't had a chance to get to it because they're not here in front of me. And I haven't had something that's made directly that I needed to go to them one-on-one. I mean, sure, I've talked to everybody in meetings, but um, which is a reminder I need to make a note to do that. But, um, and I think that something, you know, just to kind of switch over real quick, because I know we're, we're, we're running close. On the emotional intelligence thing, one thing that is often left out 
you know, we, we talk about this externally, like I need to be, my emotional intelligence is because I need to look at, you know, Linda Ann and I need to connect there. But we also have the internal aspect that we often discount to Carol Lee's point about having, you know, not being offended. Well, I'm feeling offended. Why am I offended? What message did I receive? Did I take it in a way that was not intended? Is this hitting on something that's not even related to the situation? I mean, we've learned through studies on PTSD and all that kind of stuff that we all have triggers about, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Nick said something and I'm just like ready to go to town. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not upset with Nick. What am I upset about? And then I have to start doing some some reflection on why, what happened within myself. And uh, unfortunately, most people don't have that self-awareness. And, you know, when we're completely focused external to the to the, you know, the exclusion of that. We're never really going to have effective communication. And and I'm sure Jeremy can talk all about how effective communication isn't as natural as one would think. It's actually very difficult to be an effective communicator. And, you know, and if you don't understand your own reactions and don't try to understand them, you're never really going to understand why somebody else reacted the way they did. Yeah. Hey, being an effective communicator is not natural. That's why I'll say it again. Just do the opposite. Whatever you want to say. When you get emotional, just say the opposite and do the opposite. And that will generally help, or at least consider it. Next week, data literacy, building competence in data analytics and interpretation. I was also thinking, is there such thing as interpersonal? So we have emotional intelligence. Is there such thing termed, coined as interpersonal intelligence? If so, how is it related to emotional intelligence? So I'm going to have to do some digging. And if it's not a thing, then I'm coining it today, June 8th, 2023. You heard it here, folks. If you haven't signed up for the three-day experience, CBOC experience in August, you can get your ticket to cboc.com slash events. And we'll be doing a personal, hey, the personal stuff, the face-to-face stuff in Maryland, D.C. area uh, at the end of that three-day experience. So get your tickets. Come join us. If you have to walk, fly, skip, put your rollerblades on, try and get there. Thank you, everyone. Excellent today. Loved it. See you next week. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.